Amen. So if you need a Bible, raise your hand this morning. And GR will pass one out. We've been going through this series in 1 Timothy about being an example. So we'll turn there in 1 Timothy chapter 4 this morning. So last week we talked about faith. Faith. Being an example in faith and what that looks like. As you follow the lists, as we move along, you will see that purity comes along, and it is the last one. But in verse 12 of 1 Timothy chapter 4, it says, Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word and conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. So, I thought, one morning as Amy and I were praying how to accomplish this, that it would be good that we did it together because there's two kind of things I want to address this morning. And there's purity, obviously, general purity, right? And we know that, being sinless, being pure, right? Not having sin a part of our lives, in our, in our words being pure, in our conduct being pure, being refined continually by God to be holy. But a lot of that we've kind of talked about in this series. But the one area that just came to mind talking about that was sexuality. And the reality, as you think about that, and we thought about that, this is a huge area in the world and in the church that people struggle with or think about. That's just true, right? But we don't ever talk about it, at least in the church, right? Um, and I think our silence sometimes is a negative thing because we aren't teaching people what is right and practically how to get better. So we don't want to shy away. That was a little bit my warning with the kids before. Uh, yeah, just beware because there might be some stuff. And so parents, I just want to give that again. But we want to talk about this because it's a real issue and we feel it needs to be addressed. There's a lot of lies. And there's a lot of truth. There's a lot of brokenness. There is a tremendous amount of brokenness because of impurity sexually in the lives of people in the church today. And yet we keep our silence, and it's almost in our silence we, we brush it to the corner and we say, this isn't necessary, or we're embarrassed. But when we teach God's word, it's never embarrassing because it leads us to truth which sets us free. Amen? So, what's basically happened, I'll just give a little introduction, and then I'm going to say a few, few words to the men, and then Amy's going to say a few words to the, to the ladies, and then we're just going to conclude uh, like that. Now, obviously, we're going to miss some things. We're not saying that we're experts or anything like that. We're just trying to get into God's Word, hear what he shared with us, and share it with you. So I'm just going to kind of set the stage from Scripture and tell you a few things about sexuality and intimacy. I'm going to use that word just because it sounds a little better when just intimacy, it, it sounds uh, 
not as, yeah, combative. So intimacy is good. That's what the Bible says. And unfortunately, because of impurity, we have a bad sense of intimacy or because of brokenness, it can get a bad rap. Um, but the Bible says God created intimacy. It's for procreation. It's for pleasure. We know both are rep represented in the scripture. We know in Malachi it says clearly that godly marriage is there for a purpose for the raising up of the righteous, right? We know pleasure, Song of Solomon. It's a book, and some of the old rabbis didn't want it in the Bible, but it's there, and it's rather shocking at points. But it's there, and it was, and it is created for pleasure. Intimacy was, and we know the Bible says that. God created a wonderful design and a safe place for intimacy, and that is called marriage. Amen. So as I'm reading a book and going to a study with my high school class, we know that with commitment and intimacy, when you come to marriage, you come to that point where you can have complete intimacy with complete commitment before the Lord. Proverbs 5 states clearly that a man should enjoy the wife of his youth and even goes on to state that he should be intoxicated or enraptured with her love. That's just the reality of the Bible. When things are pure and good, God's design is perfect. Unfortunately, sin has entered the picture, and we know that, and the problem is real. And the problem is very simple. It's when intimacy comes out of the boundaries of marital commitment in any way, it creates impurity which destroys lives. I, don't have, I, don't have, I can't put it any more simply. And that just doesn't include adultery. That includes any form of sexual fornication, lust, self-gratification, pornography. Anything in that realm will take away and destroy you as a person and your marriage or your potential marriage for those who are single. Obviously, at the end, we're going to be very clear, and I was very clear to tell you that in Christ, we're a new creation. Amen? But I still have a very strong warning, because Scripture does. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it makes it very clear that we are to flee sexual immorality. I love saying, I heard it once kind of like a joke, you got to run away. The Greek and the English is the same. If you want to play with that fire, you will be burned. You will suffer. And the reason 1 Corinthians 6 makes it clear is you're not sinning against your outer body. The Word of God would say you're sinning against yourself. That's what you're doing. You see, because Christ lives in you. And you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so as you move in that direction, and you personally go that direction, there is that great difficulty when you choose because Christ lives in you. And Paul goes on to say, why would Christ be joined to a harlot? And we don't want that. And that's why we flee and we run and we scram and we make it fast. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3 in the NIV says that there should not even be a hint of sexual immorality in your midst. In your midst. Not even a hint. I love that. Because... You know, oftentimes we hear, well, how far is too far with what I look at or movies I watch? 
Just keep that verse in your mind. Not even a hint should be in your midst. So in, in thinking of being an example, understand that. 1 Thessalonians 4, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, your holiness, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. The reality is there's not, there's not any wiggle room in regards to this. As we are walking with Christ, we need to be an example, one to another, of what it means to be sexually pure. The problem we encounter, though, is we live in a sexualized culture. Today, I just went to the grocery store with Jar quickly before service. I wanted a drink. And there on the radio, one of these songs, I Love Her Blank. You know, this is one of the most popular songs today. This is the grocery store. And it's funny, I'm teaching on this, and I'm like, Jihar, do you hear this song? Like, you can't get away from it, right? It's everywhere. It, you know, I, I've read a lot of books and heard a lot of thoughts, but it said those people who have a TV in their home or have cable will look at, through commercials and programs, over 100,000 sexual innuendos through commercials and programs in their life, and you will become totally desensitized to that. It won't be wrong. So between the music we listen to, what we watch, and unfortunately the internet, which puts all these provoking images right at our fingertips, it is hard to live as an example in a culture that just hammers us over and over. And it happens that it comes to a point where we just become so unsensitive to this truth that we accept it and we begin to justify it and live in a way that God hasn't called us to live. Um, I don't know how to put this clear, but this is a real, real issue. And the reality as a pastor, seeing the brokenness that is caused is devastating. But God has a better way. And God is forgiving and God gives us purity, and God sets us straight, and we can do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Okay. So that sets the stage. Now I'm just going to, for men, give a few, because I thought like church, it might apply to you, might not. Obviously God might be showing you something else, and that's perfectly fine. But I just wanted to speak to the men a little bit, just three points to help you in any way, and at the end we'll talk about those a little bit who have been broken, but I just wanted to make some, some things clear practically maybe to help you. I think men are much different than women, amen? I didn't quite hear you there. <laughs> men are different than women. Yeah, okay, so all right, it's good to loosen this crowd up a bit, you know. Yeah, and men, I think, because the way God created us, look at sexuality much different than women. Uh, men, I think, are much more physically inclined. It's not so much an emotional, though it can be. It's much more of a physical experience to meet a need in their life. And because of that, because we are ignited by our sight, and ignited by images, 
much more than, and this is in generalities, obviously it, it can change, but we generally are ignited by our sight and our vision, and it can be such a physical thing that we lose sight that intimacy is a spiritual and emotional thing as well. And so the difficulty then is men, everything is about the physical, and it leads to much, much difficulty in life. I'll tell you, Job knew this, and he made a covenant in Job 31.1 with his eye not to look upon, it says, a young woman. I will say not to look upon a woman. Maybe Job was older. And I think it's very clear, men, if you know how you're created, and you know if you're, you function by sight and physicality and what you see, you have to be triply careful then what you're looking at, where your eyes go, the decisions you make. Usually, if there's failure, it's step 15, but it starts at step one. And that's when you gotta quickly turn your eye and realize that your perspective matters and that a woman isn't an object to fulfill you, but a person who's been created emotionally and spiritually. You have to defeat the lie that Satan will give you that this is just a physical experience. Whether you're satisfying yourself with the trash on the computer, just to relieve your physical body, but not understanding that this is so much deeper. You see, God doesn't want that. And so as the song says, be careful, little eyes, what you see. And there is no, absolutely no, justification for looking at impure images. Is that clear? Because Satan will try to justify that for you to fulfill yourself physically because it's a need. There is never, ever, justification. So I'm physically burning. I'm phys no, no. God wants you to be sanctified, holy, set apart. And he's put a place for that intimacy, which is called marriage. Your number one call is to be holy, right? Jesus made it clear. He was serious about it. No lust. Was the problem cut your arm off? Not literally. But what he was saying is, this is serious. If you have a computer, it's a problem. Get rid of it. Radical sin needs radical change. When I deal with people, that's how I talk to them. You have a, a program, you need to be accountable, and you will be as accountable as much as you want to be accountable. But there's never justification. Second thing I would say to you, men, is this. Turn on the lights. Don't live in the darkness of shame. Walk in the light. I think people here and Christians in general and anybody, myself included, even when temptation comes in any way, you need to turn on the lights. What do I mean by that is Satan operates in the darkness. Anything that he can keep a secret, you will lose at. You know that? Like, if you're in the darkness and there's any sin you're struggling with, and if you haven't brought it to light with someone in your life, you really will 
regret that. Because Satan has no power when the light is turned on. When there is people to pray for you, to keep you accountable, to walk with you. Satan is a pretty smart guy. I think of the creation of the internet where everything can be done in the dark. For men who want to satisfy themselves physically, they don't have to go to a store or anything like that. They can just quietly do what they want to do, erase it from the history. Everything's in the dark. You've got to combat that with truth. Everything in the light. Your life should always be in the light. There should be nothing secret about your life and how you live. You want to know where I went? You want, honey, you want to see my texts? You want to search my internet searches? You go right ahead. I'm not going to get defensive because I am accountable to you at all times. And I'm in the light. I've seen people struggle in the moment they get in the light and get accountability where they choose to truly open up and pray and be in that active fellowship. I see the chains of Satan be released. And there is victory, and you're not a victim. You are not a victim. You can have victory in Jesus Christ. And if our society wants to live that way, we don't have to live that way. Just a last point on that. Shame leads us to keep quiet. We're embarrassed. We failed. Who are we? What would they think? And Satan lies to us and he accuses us and we feel so shameful that we don't tell anyone and we continually struggle and struggle in our shame. But when you turn on the light, you see the truth of Scripture that you are forgiven and you are free. And Satan, you can't shame me because Jesus Christ died and has forgiven me. And I am a failure, but God has made me perfect. So we have to fight that lie of the shame and live in light because it leads us to purity. Really, really important just practically to live like that. And the third point for me with the men, you might think I'm rather simple, but if you're struggling at all with this, and I'm sure maybe at some point have or will, and I know it's simple advice, and I believe it's, it's truth too, just get busy. Just get to work. Work hard. Be physically active. Get into fellowship with your thoughts. Don't live where you know you're going to fail. Right? Temptation is common to all men and all women. But if it has less of your mind because you're busy with the things of the Lord, you'll be productive and you'll be focused. Get a hobby. <laughs> Get something to put your mind away from always thinking. Because what happens is when stress comes, we want to medicate with something that will never heal us. And we have to have other things to go to, number one being Jesus Christ. But Jesus Christ has other activities when you know you're facing stress that you can get into that can release and give you strength to fight the battle. But if you're going to that as your medication, you're going to destroy yourself. I just simply say, get busy. Get in fellowship. 
And what happens is oftentimes we don't want to go or we don't want to do whatever it is. But as you do that, you find your mind changes. And then the temptation isn't so great. And you can conquer that with Jesus Christ. You got to run. You got to flee. We got to take the example of Joseph, Joseph in the book of Genesis when tempted by Potiphar's wife. And I've often said, I don't know how old she is or or not, or what she looked like, but his response was, I got to get out of this situation, and he scrammed, and that's our response, whereas David, who had the opposite response with Bathsheba, wasn't where he was supposed to be, working for his country, was on the roof, and saw something he shouldn't have saw, and then let that temptation build a nest in his head, which led to sin. We have to be like Joseph, we have to scram, we have to keep busy. We have to take our thoughts captive because you are in a war. And we might not like to hear that in church, but that's just reality. And I'm tired of seeing the brokenness when God has so much better for us. Amy? morning um <laughs> all right so yeah dan and i were praying and yeah he's like what about you sharing and i'm like uh-huh. anyway but i'm here and uh yeah i just spent some time just praying about um about this issue for women sexual purity pure thoughts and i just thought as much as for men it's a physical battle um for women it's a mental battle I just find in our thoughts or in our um, how how we view it's sort of more subconscious than conscious um, in our lives. And I I'm speaking from my own experience mostly, but also from listening to women over the years. Um, so I just wrote down a few uh, a few thoughts um, about being an example in purity when it comes when, with regards to sexuality as women. Um, my first thought was that uh, we need to have, like, we need to have the mind of Christ, right? Like, with regards to um, sexuality, and and so I thought, um, what were some of the some of the thoughts or, or beliefs that we have, or some of the lies that we believe as women um, about this about this issue? Um, so I just wrote, I found four came to mind. So um, one of the first things that came to mind probably when I was younger and uh, um, yeah, just I was raised in a Christian home, but I was in a worldly environment constantly and my thoughts were formed mainly by the environment I was in. And my first, the first lie that came to my mind was that sex equals love. Um, because when, um, it, meaning if I'm desired sexually, then I'm loved. And, uh, and that's a lie. <laughs> that's a lie. The enemy in the world has run rampant with this lie. Um, a lot of young girls, that's what they think and how they feel about um, who they are. They believe that if a man wants to be with me, or, uh, then that means that I'm loved. And it's a lie. Um, and it affects, affects women um, subconsciously, even if you know that's not true. 
um, we can very easily subconsciously believe it, and we um, and we it comes out in how we dress or how we um, what we think men think of us. Um, in that, again, that's just a lie that needs to be dispelled. And I, I kind of drew a picture on my um, page. Um, of a clock with a pendulum, and that's the pendulum is swung way over to this way. Well, there's another swing of the pendulum that sex is not love. That's another lie. Um, so first lie, sex is love. Second lie, sex is not love. Um, women often believe, and I know I have in the past, that he doesn't really love me, he just wants something from me, like I'm just an object. Um, uh, yeah, that, yeah, all he wants is, is my body and not necessarily my my emotions, my soul, like who I am. And um, again, that's a lie that is from the pit of hell. It's not, it's not what God's plan is at all. Um, so that was the two pendulum swifts or shifts for me. Um, and then another lie that came to mind was that um, um, sex is a tool that we can use to manipulate our husbands or to manipulate a man. Um, I, that he's, he's not doing this, this, and this for me, so I am going to use this tool to manipulate, and we're all guilty of that. Maybe not all of us, but I know I am. Um, uh, that, uh, and that is a lie as well. It is not meant to be used as a tool to manipulate a man at all, ever. Um, I see this in the Bible, though. It, Tamar came to mind. Um, Tamar, if you know the story in Genesis, yeah, she used her her um, sexuality as a tool to manipulate Judah. Um, and it was not from God, but it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was bad. And um, anyway, that is another lie, lie number three. It is not a tool to manipulate um, a man. And then the fourth lie that came to mind is that um, our sexuality is evil, bad, dirty, um, a, a bad, like that's a lie that I know I've believed in the past, and a lot of it is because of the abuse in our culture and, and the abuse. Maybe we've been abused, right? Like, um, and that, uh, that is what we think of it because of, again, sexual abuse, prostitution, rape. The language our culture uses around it is horrible. Um, and if we hear that language, if we're in public school or we're in an environment, a workplace where people just are so coarse with their language, it, it subconsciously affects us, and we can start to believe the lies um, that the world teaches about it. But God wants to, like, again, just dispel the lies and bring truth. Um, and so, yeah, those were the four lies that, that I wrote down. And then I just had some thoughts that God wants to purify our thinking with regards to this as women. Um, because, again, like, it's, it may, you may not consciously be aware you're thinking that, but it subconsciously um, sneaks into our thought life. And um, so the first truth that uh, came to mind was that um, the blood of Jesus has cleansed us from all sin. We are sexually pure when we come to Christ, and he washes us whiter than snow, no matter what our past was. No matter what our past was. His blood always has that ability to wash us um, clean and make us pure. And um, and I just thought of that verse, I think it's in Revelation, He's, he always makes all things new, and he makes us new in regards to um, purity as well when we come to Christ. And any time we come to Christ, not just at salvation, but any time we turn to him and we confess our sin, and as Dan said, walk in the light, 
um, in our thinking. Um, we are made new. The blood of Christ washes us. And, uh, and so that's a truth for, for the past. Um, a truth for the present is um, if you're single, stay pure sexually. Stay pure. Um, if you're married, um, sexuality in marriage is pure. Um, and that's something that I think I, yeah, have struggled with at times. Marriage should be honored. Um, and the marriage bed is to be kept pure and undefiled, Hebrews 13, 4. Um, so in our thinking, women, um, as we think about it, that's how we need to think about it in marriage. Um, and then, so that's a truth for the present. And a truth for the future that came to mind was that um, I kept thinking of that verse, and I think it's in First Timothy, but later on, or maybe earlier in First Timothy, it says, love God um, from a pure heart. And with regards to purity, um, yeah, we are to love God and love our husbands from a pure heart. Uh, yeah, it's First Timothy 1.5 says that. Um, this is this intimacy is a gift from God um, that we are to share and to open together. Um, it is not to be demanded or retained within marriage. Um, it's it's a gift to be open together to share together, and it's it is a beautiful thing that God created, satisfying, healing, very healing, and and uh, health in a healthy part of marriage. Um, and so those are just some of the truths that I. I myself um, will renew my mind with in terms of in my marriage and also, uh, yeah, those, because I said, like I said, we're bombarded by the world constantly and how we view um, sexual purity and our sexuality. So um, we do need to renew our minds and, uh, and have the mind of Christ with regards to this. So, um, yeah, and then just to the unmarrieds and those who are younger, um, yeah, a, a long time ago someone shared this with me, uh, your, that your sexuality is a gift um, and you don't give it away until it pleases God. In Song of Solomon, um, chapter 8, verse 4, it says, do not awaken love until it pleases. And God, as we talked about before, God created a, the covenant of marriage for that, um, for that place. And so we as girls and women don't awaken those thoughts, um, don't even enter them until you, you have entered a marriage covenant. Um, and so that would just be my exhortation for those who are young or who are single. Um, but again, just that we have a correct thinking of because we are so easily affected in our thought life by the world around us. And even if we're not aware of it, it can subconsciously be there and it can affect how you relate to your husband um, in marriage with regards to this topic. So thank you. Just lastly, just wanted to <laughs> just say again, yeah, there's, there's many consequences, but we really believe that our God's a healing God. Amen? And I really believe that God's purpose is always redemption and restoration. That God is always thinking of redemption. He's always thinking of restoration. And if you have been hurt by impurity, I just want to encourage you that God is with you and God wants to heal you. And God has a purpose to help you get through it. 
We are new creations in Christ. And now I'd like to say, let's go live like it. Let's go live that example. Let's, yeah, turn off what needs to be turned off and turn on what needs to be turned on in the truth of God's word. Amen? So thank you, Lord Jesus, for your grace and your goodness this day. Just thinking of purity in Hebrews chapter 12, it says our God is a consuming fire. I was just thinking with Easter coming, how Jesus took that fire because he took all our sin, all our impurity on the cross. He took the wrath of God for us. Took all the shame, took all the pain, and he gave us his purity, his perfection, and his righteousness. And as we believe in him, as we trust in him, we are pure, and we can live pure lives. So we're here to celebrate Jesus this morning. Maybe you're in a place that you know you shouldn't be. Maybe you have been living impure sexually. I pray that you would confess that to the Lord that you would bring light to that situation, that you would speak to someone today. Maybe you have been believing some of the lies. We pray, it's our desire that you would know truth and that you would be set free. Maybe this morning that you've been really broken. It's our desire that you would know healing in Jesus Christ. That you would see yourself as clean because he has made you clean. Jesus would say to us, you're forgiven. Go and sin no more. Live what you are. Be an example. Be different. It's God's will, our sanctification. God's will, our sanctification, that we should be sexually pure. We look at you, Jesus, and all you've done. The elements are in the back. So as Randy sings, as quietly and respectfully as you think of Jesus and his forgiveness and how he's made you pure as you believe in him. Just enjoy what he's done. Worship him for what he's done. Understand the truth of who you are in Jesus Christ. There'll be brothers and sisters in the back if you need to pray. Just encourage you, if there's anything you need to pray about, we'd love to pray with you. Let's worship the Lord together now.